We continue to go through some of the basics of our beliefs. Today I would like to talk to a subject uh, that's pretty important. It's the dual nature of the born-again child of God. Sounds like a mouthful. But what I want to stress here is when you read the Bible, especially the church epistles, and it's talking to you and I, and the reason why I say that It says, to the saints at Galatia, to the saints at Ephesus. It's talking to people that are already convinced Jesus is Lord, that have already repented, that have been baptized, that are going to church, that are struggling with their sin. And I think we have a tendency when we read certain verses in the Bible, we say, oh, it's those people out there. But it's not. It's talking to about Born again, children of God, because we still have a dual nature. Yes, there's a spirit inside that's perfect and good, but it's in a clay pot. Deborah calls us crackpots, okay? That's exactly what we are. We're crackpots. So, when Jesus went out and the Pharisees got angry at him, and they say, he's a friend of sinners... Do you realize if he didn't have sinners as friends, he wouldn't have any friends? Because we're all sinners, right? They couldn't believe he sat down and he ate and he, he took an invitation from a sinner. You eating with sinners? He would never eat because no one ever fits that bill. He's the only one that ever fit that bill. So when we're talking about this, we want to realize it's talking about us in our born-again state. That's really, really important. Okay. So that's being said, let's do a little review, okay? Each person on earth is a three-part being, just like our creator. We believe in a trinity, a triune Godhead. We are a three-part being too. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says we're body, soul, and spirit. And I think I've shared with you before I have yet, I've seen, read, read lots of writings, lots and lots of different people, different centuries, and I still haven't come to a really good definition of the difference between the spirit and the soul. Sooner or later, everyone that I read meets themselves coming. But I'm here, and I've got to give you something. So I've come up with something, and I admit it's not perfect. And I think it probably gets maybe, I don't know, a good percentage of what the difference is. But when I talk about the soul, I talk about your intentions and your affections. When you die, your spirit goes, and with your spirit goes your intentions and your your affections. And that's about as close as I can get. So I'm going to leave it there, and I don't want to delve into that too much because then I never talk about what I want to talk about, okay? But when a person is conceived and they are born, and this is before God gets a hold of him, All three parts are absolutely depraved. They're ruined. You look at a little bitty baby and you see that great, beautiful complexion and that skin. And you heard the phrase, you know, soft as a baby's bottom. Yes, it's perfect. But then they start growing and it's not so soft anymore. And the complexion isn't so smooth anymore and it starts getting wrinkles. Yes. And that's to the day we die. Amen? Okay. It's not like we're born again and that process stops. We'll get to that in a second. So our body is ruined. It's a crackpot. Yes? 
And then we have a spirit, and it is cold and it's incapable. It's called dead. It's called depraved. It's ter- it can't understand the things of God, right? And then we get to the soul, and I describe that soul as kind of be everything to the non-elect, the unregenerate person. It's, it's all about them. It's an inward focus. All they care about is them, their pleasure, and the things they want. They're incapable of going out beyond that. Now you say, well, sometimes they obey. Yeah, because they don't want to get caught. It's still about them. Okay, so that's a broad swath. swath. And, and, and what's cool, what, 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 and that's not cool, what, what's interesting is all three body parts are in complete harmony. The body parts are in complete harmony in the unregenerate state. It's toward sin. Okay? And this is what I call the goat. The goat. Okay, so let's go move forward. And let's go to the next state of elect child of God. And then God gets a hold of them and he regenerates them. So now God has performed an operation. And what he does is he turns a goat into a lost sheep. Now, this is where we differ. I mean, I mean, we got a name out there, and in that name, there's the word Baptist, but there's a lot of churches with Baptist, but in between that, there's another word, and it's primitive. And what that means, it separates us from everybody else. I mean, I, I can go back and I get the, the best preachers throughout time, Charles Spurgeon and George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, get some present-day guys, Chuck Swindoll, Billy Graham. I can take all those preachers and all the sermons they preached and all the people they touched, and I can take my two-year-old grandson and put him over here and ask him who regenerated the most, and guess what? They're in a dead-heat tie. You guys are looking at me, really? Yeah, they both done zero. Do you understand that? And that separates us. And you know what? That's not negotiable. They haven't saved a one. Okay? So in that state, you know what? When we're regenerated, the body doesn't change. It's still a crackpot. But what happens is the spirit changed. And now it's warm and it's instinctive. Okay? And we actually covered that about three Sundays ago. But you know what the soul is? The soul is confused. There's a part of them that has a yearning towards God, but they're still ignorant. And you know what? They're still looking at the world, and it's this horrible confusion. And that's who we want. Do you understand? That's who we want. So I did that contest about turning goats into sheep, and I, I, did the, I did the silliness with Charles Spurgeon and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, and I put my little, not even two years old yet, Malachi, they're tied. So when we go from the lost sheep to the found sheep, those preachers are starting to work. That's the job they do. They don't turn goats into sheep, they turn lost sheep into found sheep. I've preached this before, right? Okay, so let's look at that person. So now you get converted. So now your body stops aging? No, it doesn't. It's still ruined. But the spirit 
is even warmer, and now it's educated. The soul, the focus, is being attacked. And this is where I want to spend my time today. I want to talk about that battle in the born-again, converted, baptized, church-going child of God. You are under attack. Don't stop thinking. That's for them folks out there. It's for us folks in here. And the scripture will prove it in just a second. So we just moved from that, but I can't leave us here. Doesn't that, does that body ever get fixed? Yeah, it gets fixed. Where does it get fixed? It gets fixed in glory. So in glory, the body's perfect, the spirit's perfect, and the soul is perfect. And guess what? There's harmony again. So we started it out in harmony. We ended in harmony. But all through this life, there's been anything but harmony. So that's where we're at. So I don't want you to forget, as we go through this passages, we're talking about the after-conversion person, where the battle's going on. Okay, prove it. All right, let's go. Romans 7. You knew all was going to go here. You can't talk about the dual nature of man without going to Romans 7. Let me read 21, 22, and 23. Now, as I talk about this, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. This is not the Apostle Paul before the Damascus Road. He's not saying, this is the way I used to be. You know what? This is the Apostle Paul that went on the Damascus Road, that was blind, that had the preacher come to him, that has been ordained, that's looped around the Mediterranean a couple times, that has started churches and planted churches and inspired to write scripture, that has had sons in the ministry, and he says, I have a battle. He's not saying, I'm schizophrenic. He says, I have a battle. Okay? 21. I find then a law that then when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the Lord of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. What he's saying is I've got two natures. I've got this flesh pot that still wants to sin, and inside it i got this piece of God that wants to do right. It's kind of like those old cartoons, you know, Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse and all those things where you had the little devil and you got a little angel in there, right? They don't do cartoons like that anymore, right? But we got this battle going on, and Paul's describing that battle. And... I know I should say I'm sorry to my wife, but I'm mad. I just want to stay mad for a little while. That battle going on? Do you really honestly want to say that only happens to those people out there? No, it happens to us, right? Okay, let's go. Okay, look what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners who I was. Is that what it says? No. He says, I am chief. He didn't say I was chief. He says, I am chief. That's present. He is a sinner. 
And here's the two verses about about Jesus being a friend. Let's go over here. Let's look at this battle. And you know, I think I've shared this with you before, that I see this warning about this battle in every single church epistle. Now, Now again, when you go to the church epistles, every once in a while, it'll be talking. And it'll say, wait a second, I'm talking about someone outside the church. Like, for instance, in Romans 10, it says there's some Jewish people that haven't been converted yet, and there's, you have a zeal of God, but they're doing it ignorantly. Every once in a while, I'll refer. And I can go to 1 Corinthians 14. And it says every once in a while, y'all be speaking in tongues, and if a visitor comes in and they hear that nonsense going on and there's no one to interpret it, it's going to sound like craziness to them. Yeah, every once in a while, a church epistle will be talking about someone outside the church, but that's pretty clearly stated, and it's not very often. Most of the time, he uses the words like I, we, and us. He said, we're going through this battle. Okay, Romans 8 and 13. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Well, wait a second. That's got to be talking to people outside the church. Uh Uh-uh. The ye there is you, the people in the church. 2 Corinthians 4.16. For which we... I'm sorry. For which cause we faint not, but through our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. That's got to be talking about the unregenerate person. Nope. It's got to be talking about the unconverted person. Nope. It's talking about someone sitting in a church pew. Someone that drives a minivan to church with a bunch of kids in the back. They still have that battle. Galatians 5.17. I'm going to tell on Hope this is so dangerous. She may never come back to church again. But I was so proud of her last night. She's going, oh no, where is she going? She was babysitting some twins. How old were they? Nine months, ten months? What? Eight Eight months. She went on FaceTime. They were crying at the same time. Right? If there's ever a time for a parent to lose it, that's it. But she was calm and cool. She called her mom. Were the, the boy, and they were crying back and forth, nonstop, together, harmonizing, you know, all that kind of, and she, she kept her cool. I was so proud of her. But if there was ever a time for the flesh to rear up, you say, I'd never do that. I say, you're a liar. Amen? I lost my cool with one baby, let alone a set of twins. All right. Galatians 5.17. Did I do okay? You going to come back to church? Okay. <laughs> Galatians 5.17. For the, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Those are those people out there. No, those are those people in here. Right? And the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so that ye, who's the ye? The members of the church of Galatia. Cannot do the things that you would. I know I should be more impatient. I should be more patient and less impatient. Amen? Okay. All right, still talking about after conversion. 
Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what it is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now certainly this is talking about them people out there. No, who is he telling to be transformed? Doesn't that happen at conversion? I got a hint for you. It starts at conversion, but it never stops. Our lives are like this, aren't they? My life reads more like the book of Judges than it does a moonshot. Okay. Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Put on Christ. I'm in church. Put on Christ. I'm going to work. Put on Christ. Yep. Okay. Titus 2.12, teaching us. Who's the us? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You mean there's a little bit of chance that could be me? I think there's a lot of bit of chance that could be you. Amen? Okay, so we got a real battle on our hands. Okay, <clears throat> I want to talk about our mentality. You know, this is a war. And when you talk about a war, I think of soldiers, and I think about all the training soldiers do. And there's really two things soldiers need to do. They need to practice, and they need to know their weaponry. And I think they need to be encouraged, and they have have to have a right state of mind. In other words, surrender is not an option. Okay. So, 1 Timothy 1.18, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. It's a battle, y'all. Right? And he's telling this young preacher, not a dead alien sinner, not an unconverted person, he's telling a preacher in the gospel, get that word of God, make it intimately with yourself. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Now certainly that's someone out of the church. No, we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about a close relationship with Jesus Christ. We're talking about laying hold and having that. There's a statement that I made about three or four weeks ago. I stole it from Brother Michael Goins in one of his sermons. We live and respond by the promises of God, not by his explanations. In other words, there are times where you tell a little child, do not run in the road. And they may be too young or too immature to understand the rule. And sometimes you throw out the gauntlet because I said so. Because they can't understand the reason why. They go ahead. And there's a promise there. There's safety in not running out on the road. But then as they get older, you might explain it to them. Right? So when I look at this, it says, fight the good fight of faith and the good profession 
you know what? There's some things we don't understand, but I'm living by his promises, even though I don't understand it all. I'm reading the word of God. And you know what? Every promise he's ever made to me come to pass. I have no doubt that he's going to break a promise. I might not always understand all the reasons and and the nitty gritty details of how it's all going to play out, but he said to do it and I'm going to trust him and I'm going to do it. Y'all, there's peace in that. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 7, this is at the end of Paul's life. And he says, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. This is the battle we're talking about. This is the, the, the words we want to be able to say on our deathbed. Why? Well, first of all, it's going to keep a lot of tumult out of your life. Second of all, it's going to be a great witness to your children and your children's children. But third of all, it's just the way you praise God. It's the way you glorify God. Okay. So I come down here and I look at the weaponry. What's our weaponry? Second Timothy 4, 2 and 3, it says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itch and ears. He's telling this young preacher, it's the word, the whole word and nothing but the word. They're going to get bored of the word. Okay, they're, they're going to want to quote other people. I hope for the 11 years I've been your pastor, when you come to me, and I don't care if it's the words of men or confessions or faith or whatever, and you come to you and use it as a source of authority, I think I've been pretty consistent. I don't care. You want to budge me? Give me God's word. Amen. Well, I'm embarrassing kids. I might as well keep on going at it. Graham was about 20 years old, and he was thinking about signing up and going into the service and committing himself into the program at University of Georgia and going into the service. And he tried to convince me. Guess what he used? Scripture. Hope wanted a German shepherd. Guess what she used? Scripture. You're kidding. My kids know if they want to budge dad, they better come to me with God's word. Even if they want to get a big dog, I know their mom's going to have to feed, right? Okay, I just crossed the line. Now she's not coming back. Okay. You come to me as a church member. You want to convince me of a practice or a doctrine. You better have thus saith the word. If you said, my old pastor used to do this, guess what I'm going to say? I don't care. If you say that's what mama used to do, guess what? I don't care. I want to know what Jesus said. Amen? All right. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know what another tool he gave you is? The fellowship of like-minded believers. And when you're walking in a way and you're carrying yourself and you're conducting in yourself, you know what? A brother that truly loves you is going to say, what's going on? Amen? First Peter 1, 14 and 15. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, 
But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Another tool you have is to obey God and um, comply with his will. Those are tools. This is what we need to do, and we need to practice, and we need to continue in those practices. Okay? All right. Let's go on. Now, I want to talk to you about one more subject, and then we'll wrap this thing up. But I want to talk to you about fallacies. And I want to talk about fallacies of those outside the church and the fallacies of those inside the church. Okay? And sometimes we, as Christians, that have converted and understand how silly certain sins are, but we don't sit on our high horses and look down our noses at the other folks because they're doing these sins. That's a self-righteousness. That's, what I, that's the word I made up. It's a religionist. It's a legalist with a twist on it. Okay? So, Isaiah 65, 5, here's a saying that you probably used all your life and didn't even know it was Bible. Which say, stand by thyself, come not near me, for I am holier than thou. Have you heard that holier than thou attitude? This is where it came from. These, this is God speaking, these are a smoke in my nose and a fire that burneth all day. Think about it. You ever been by a fire, in the, you know, a, fire a campfire, and the wind changed and the smoke went up your nose? You go, <laughs> well, that's what God's saying your service is when you act holier than thou. When you're looking down your nose at other people and you say, oh, you're a sinner. Okay? Luke 18, 10 through 12. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Yeah, don't pray with yourself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You ought to be thankful I'm even coming to church. This is attitude. So sometimes we get that attitude as church members towards outsiders, church members towards other church members. Right? So, but we are nothing more than a person after conversion that is fighting the same battles. Actually, I think our battle's more intense because when you get baptized and you join a church, I think there's a bullseye on your back that wasn't there before. And I think Satan's trying even harder to get you. And then finally, I got to go to 1 Corinthians 12, 21, 25. This is one great big metaphor talking about the human body, but it's really talking about the local church. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Members to members. Nay, much more are those members of the body which seem to be more feeble and are necessary. And those members of the body which we think less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. That's the definition of the local church. Those are church members. 
And sometimes when we get converted and, and we get our knowledge and we get our, our theology to such a point that we forget that we are nothing more than but by the grace of God where we're at, we have any ability at all. So you know what we need to do? We need to have a humility contest. Uh, okay, good, you got it. Okay? Okay, watch out when you have the humility contest. All right. Last points. Okay. But I want to talk about the visitor. And this is something we have to be very aware of. Okay? First one I want to look at is Matthew 7, 3. When... We go out into the community and we are proclaiming Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to share something else. I had the blessing of spending some time with Hope, so that's why she keeps coming up, okay? As you know, she waitressed at Cracker Barrel for close to a year, right? Yeah, I'm making a statement about it's not about you, so you can breathe easy. And, and she, when she hired in, she said, no Sunday. So they never schedule on our Sunday. But all the other waitresses, and she says there's probably about 50 of them at that store, hated to work Sundays. Couldn't stand working Sundays. You know why? They couldn't stand the Christians. They were the worst tippers, the fustiest comers, customers, and the more likely to give you the hardest time. It's not one... And Hope said, I also hated working Wednesday nights, especially when the people came and dressed up. Their Bibles were out there. Horrible. Y'all, when we conduct ourselves, it doesn't matter the tracks, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter what your testimony, if that's what your testimony is the community, those people have no interest in church. Okay? Matthew 7, 3. I gotta hang out with you more. You gave me good stuff in the sermon today, brother. Sister. Okay. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam in thine own eye? Y'all y- y- know that's there, right? And we're looking at all those people out here, and look what we're doing. First John three thirteen. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Well, you got to understand that if you are walking after Christ, not only do we have to watch out for our hypocrisies, but we also understand that when we do walk after Christ and certain things that we do, people aren't going to like simply because they're making or convicting them. Okay? But the last one I have is in Ecclesiastes 2.1. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasures, and behold, this also is vanity. You know, there's an attitude among non-Christians that Christianity's no fun. And we don't do much to break that impression when we walk around like we've been sucking on a lemon all day. Do you smile? Do you give thanks? Are you happy? Are you joyful? Are you encouraging? So, That's what we have. So we are nothing more than a crackpot, right? 
we got a body that's still getting old, it's still breaking down, and the only fix for that is Jesus coming back. I got that. There's an operation that was performed in our spirit. We had nothing to do with that. Amen? That was by the Holy Ghost. We ought to prove that all those great preachers, and again, I'm not making fun of those preachers. They preached to thousands of people. They lived lives that were completely honorable, but they didn't regenerate a person. They turned some lost sheep into found sheep, but they didn't regenerate a single person. And here we are, coming down the stretch, and we're in a church, and we realize, yes. So let me conclude with four observations. Number one, born-again children of God have sin nature. We must fight every single day, and sometimes we lose. So I say, man up, admit it especially the people outside the church, you're right. Two, the world scrutinizes the lives of Christians. They broadcast our losses and ignore our victories. Is that true? Yep. Is there anything we can do about it? Just minimize our losses. I didn't say eliminate our losses. There's only one that did that, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. But we eliminate them. And again, as I sit here as a father of five, I had ten little eyeballs at me for their whole, and they saw every single one of them. Okay? So hopefully they see less of them in their 20s than they did in their 10s or teens. Number three, Jesus faced the same world. He won the victory, but we keep fighting not to earn our glory, but to thank him for his victory. That's why we keep doing it. And then number four, this is the one we got to remember. Members compose churches, and each person of a church represents the whole. When one acts pharisaical, we are all seen as pharisaical. You got that? One person can affect the reputation of a whole church, of a whole people. So when you lose that battle... Be humble, apologize, make the appropriate changes, and maybe they'll see the conviction and it'll take time. So that's the dual nature of the born-again child of God. We got a battle. And if you want to know how to take on that battle, there's a whole bunch of armor in Ephesians 6 that you know you need to put on. All right? May the Lord bless you. Thank you.